Hello and welcome to the Fearless in Love podcast, the show that will help you transform your relationship by first transforming you. My name is Hannah and I'm a relationship anxiety coach and breathwork facilitator, but I've also come out of the other side of relationship anxiety myself. Now that I'm looking through a lens of clarity, I am here to help you experience deep love and connection, not only with your partner, but in every area of your beautiful life. Hi, you guys. Welcome back to the Fearless in Love podcast. Today is a very special day. We have our very first guest on the podcast. Her name is Becky Este. She is a trauma-informed marriage coach and the host of Your Breakthrough Blueprint, which is a top 5% globally ranked podcast. She's also the CEO of the I Do Breakthrough, which is a company dedicated to equipping highly ambitious wives to repair thriving connection in their marriage by moving trauma out of the body. You guys know how passionate I am about somatic healing and processing trauma and emotion through the body-mind system. So this was an amazing conversation. We talked about everything from her story, finding out that she had relationship anxiety when she was already 10 years into marriage. Her marriage was on the rocks. She had two kids and she was able to heal it herself through somatic practices. We also talk a lot about shame, we cover attachment styles, we talk about intuition and the fear of starting to heal your relationship anxiety because of the unknown and not wanting to lose your partner. So we cover a lot. It was an amazing episode and she just has so much goodness to share. Before we get started, I want you to know you can find Becky on Instagram at Becky underscore Estee. I'll put that in the show notes. And I will also link her website, which is www.idobreakthrough.com. All right, let's get into it. Hi, Becky. I am so excited to have you on. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really happy to be here. Um, excited to chat more than just an Instagram DM voice memo back and forth. It's finally live. I know. I'm so excited. I'm excited for my audience to hear about your story. I'm excited to hear about your story. And I think we have some great similarities to the way that we approach relationship anxiety. So it's going to be a really good episode. I wanted to start off just by asking you about your story, really. And how relationship anxiety showed up in your relationship, how you identified it as relationship anxiety, and then how you ultimately were able to heal it and start your wonderful business. Yeah, I'd love to. And yeah, like we were talking about before we hit record, I think both of us kind of cover a broad spectrum where it's like you're in a deeply committed relationship, but that's where we started, then moved to engagement. Now we're married. Um, my husband and I have been married for, it'll be 12 years in January, this month. Hello. Wow. Okay. Amazing. Congratulations. Thanks. So yeah, it hasn't been easy. hasn't been pretty. It actually got really messy around year 10. We um, separated. We were on the verge of divorce and I'm happy to unpack that but I want to yeah backtrack to the dating piece because that's when I really start saw our uh, dynamic at least the toxic part of it begin and when we were dating especially when we started to get more serious I noticed pretty early on this kind of dance between us that at the time I didn't have words for like I would just call it chase and run where I felt like I was chasing or like needy or clingy and he would run and avoid and need space and isolate and when we were good we were good but when we weren't that was what we kept falling into and um when we got married I started diving deeper and putting more language just to this dynamic learning the words codependent and you know addiction and how those can be like uh, a very common pair <laughs> you know, yeah. 
Intimacy and addiction go hand in, going hand in hand. And then different things like the attachment style. So me identifying with anxious attachment and him avoidant. Um, and so learning a lot of head knowledge over the years to be able to put like language on what I was experiencing, but not actually feeling a difference in our dynamic, like none of it. I just felt like I was finding myself 10 years and two kids later spinning my wheels and here we are now separated and on the verge of divorce. So that's when I stumbled upon an online coach on Instagram and it was my first time ever doing an online coaching program, had no idea what I was getting myself into, but it was my first introduction to somatic work. So just by that word, it means pertaining to the body. It's what you do as a breathwork facilitator, really getting women into their body and rewriting things on a subconscious, deeper level, not just Mm -hmm. keeping in the head from the neck up. So long story short, that ended up being the game changer that took our relationship from dying to at first just healing and like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're going to work on this after everything we've been through to a place where I can now say I, I can't believe what we're experiencing and thriving and everything's just, it's a completely different relationship that I'm in. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like we talked about before. It's so cool to be able to talk to you from that different perspective where I was able to deal with my relationship anxiety in more of the earlier phases. I was able just probably because I was able to recognize what it was mm-hmm. and you had to go through more time mm-hmm. and actually a marriage and kids and all of that. I can't imagine what that would be like dealing with anxiety at the same time. Yeah, that's why I love your work and love what you do. It's like, oh my God, if I had had this 10 years ago, that's the whole reason I started my business. I'm like, I would love to save women just a decade of what I went through. So the fact that you do catch so many women, Hannah, on the front end, I'm I'm a big fan. And I'm also in awe of what you do, because if I'm correct, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Do you work more with women who are married and who are in long-term committed relationships? More so. Yeah. I'd say about 10 to 15% of my clients are, um, not engaged, not married yet, but they're at least in a committed relationship. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's like my end. So we're kind of like the opposite, which I love. So I'm curious during that entire time, did you know what relationship anxiety was, or were you just thinking like my partner's avoidant and you know, we're not compatible or what were the stories that were going on in your head during that time? Yeah, I didn't hear the term relationship anxiety until recently. So in the beginning of our relationship, for sure. No, I didn't have that kind of language. I really just the stories going on beneath the surface was a lot of shame. It was a lot of what's wrong with me. Why am I so needy? Why am I why why am I so clingy? Why is he so avoidant? Why doesn't he talk through this with me? Um, it was a lot of shame driven stories. Yeah, yeah, I, I I can relate to that. That's I think that was sort of the catalyst for me as well. The shame, getting so low and getting to a place where I felt so bad about myself that it was like, okay, if I'm going to make a change in any area of my life, this is where I need to start. So I would love to hear for someone experiencing shame, first of all, what does that look like? And how can you kind of recognize, okay, this is shame? Because for me, it's like, it was hard to recognize, okay, I'm shaming myself and -hmm. differentiate that from like, oh, there's actually something wrong with me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think the, my favorite researcher and like leader on this topic right now is Brene Brown. I could Mm -hmm. go down rabbit holes of just even Google searches, just Brene Brown shame. And I love everything that comes up. Um, she's, yeah, I love her Ted talk on it. Yeah. Her Ted talk, you know, it's, she's amazing. And I like how she describes it just kind of as this warm feeling that goes through your body that says, you know, you're separate 
from those around you that, you know, love and belonging has been cut off basically. And what I really think all the suffering we go through, uh, shame for sure, it just comes down to a severed sense of love and belonging, feeling like I I don't fit here. I'm not able to be fully seen and fully accepted, radically accepted for, you know, every piece of me. It says, you know, I'm wrong as opposed to maybe I made a mistake that's separate from me. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, like I am wrong or corrupt or bad yeah. somehow. Yeah, I love Brene's description of guilt versus mm-hmm. shame where guilt is I did something wrong like I you know got into an argument and lost my temper whereas shame is I am wrong where it's like I got into an argument I lost my temper because I'm a bad person and it's more like it's making the action or the thought or the situation about who you are as a person in Instead of just being like, okay, yeah, I made a mistake. I messed up. So that's been a a large part of my journey as well. And I would love to hear when you were navigating that shame, was it the somatic tools that helped you the most? Or what did that look like for you when you were able to finally clear that shame and maybe just focus more on the actual relationship? Yeah, I, I think it would start with like this actual moment comes to mind where this was one of the lowest parts in the history of our relationship. Um, my husband and I were moving. COVID had just begun. We had like a three-month-old baby at home. And my nervous system, like when I think of its most dysregulated point, it was that. And it was trauma brain. And it was, you know, me dropping things and forgetting things. And everything just felt like really chaotic, really a mess. And I remember this one day, my daughter was, no, she had to be older than three months. She was big enough to crawl. So maybe, yeah, like five, six months. And she she crawled so fast and tumbled down the stairs and it was on my watch and all of a sudden she's crying and my husband hears what happened and he runs up and he's like, what happened? And we just start yelling at each other out of fear and terror. Like, is she okay? You know, all, all of this like surge of emotion at once. And we're like swearing at each other and just my other child, I have a son who was three at the time. He's terrified and crying because mommy and daddy are yelling at each other. And that's rare for us. We usually like stuff our emotions. So it was just this moment of, oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to bounce back from this. I'm such a horrible mom. I'm such a horrible wife. I let my baby fall down the stairs. I'm yelling at my husband. I'm swearing at him in front of my son. And it was the next day that I stumbled upon Tara Brock. I don't know if you're familiar. No, I haven't. I haven't heard of her. Yeah, I think you would like her. If you're a breathworks facilitator, she's a meditation teacher. And uh, I found her on podcasts. And it was the next day, and it was just her voice that was first what drew me in. It was instantly soothing. But she talks a lot about shame and dissolving shame and just how collective our struggles are. And so I feel like that was my first um, introduction and experience, kind of like turning a new leaf of what if I practiced you know, being compassionate towards myself for everything I'm juggling as opposed to like, I'm just freaking failing at all of this. Mm. That was kind of the beginning that I stumbled upon somatic work. And I think it took a lot of, again, um, head knowledge and intellectual understanding that like, oh, I, I'm not alone in this, that there are other women experiencing the exact same things that it's okay to offer yourself mercy instead of judgment and translated it into the body piece of learning how to bring really even simple practices in like putting my hand over my heart and Mm -hmm. that physical contact, that physical touch of not just affirming it verbally, but touching my own chest and, you know, a self hug or self-soothing. I know you talk a lot about um, self-soothing, that piece in it, I think took a lot of latent good head information and like woke it up in my actual being where I felt like I feel different. I don't just know different. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you had another, I feel like you had another part of that question. I don't know if I answered all of your question. Yeah. Um, so 
I love that. First of all, thank you for sharing your story with that. I think even that is so vulnerable to share because, you know, in this day and age, it's like everybody feels they have to be the perfect person, the perfect mom, the perfect wife, the perfect partner, friend. It's all on social media. It's all on display. But the reason I find community so transformative with relationship anxiety, which I know you have a community as well, is that when you are able to talk about it like that and just share it and you have other people relate to it too, it's like, oh, maybe I'm not so bad. Maybe this is a normal part of being a human and being in a relationship and learning to love an imperfect person. So thank you for sharing that and being so vulnerable. Yeah, to- totally. And then, yeah, I was, I guess I was wondering with that shame piece and like all of those stories and all of that emotion that you were dealing with that probably had accumulated over such a long period of time, it sounds like, was it like daily meditation or was it just learning to self-soothe in the moment or what was sort of the main thing that you go, oh yes, that was a somatic practice that was my tipping point, if there is one. Maybe it's an array of somatic practices that you use, but yeah, I'd love to get to know a little bit more about what you do because being a breathwork facilitator, I'm so nerdy about this and I I just love learning about releasing emotion from the body-mind system and, and all of this just like is my favorite thing to talk about. So I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. Yeah. It does actually, like I can answer that specifically of what comes to mind when I started the breath work or when I started the somatic um, coaching program that I did, one of the first thing that she really introduced us to and encouraged us to practice in moments of trigger were grounding techniques. So grounding techniques are just in a moment where you're dysregulated, triggered, kind of caught up in your head, your ruminating thoughts or intrusive thoughts or racing thoughts, um, and just that frenzied frenetic energy of like, ah, like you can feel um, all of the energy kind of rising and buzzing is grounding techniques. So you can Google this and find there's a whole array of different grounding tools, somatic practices. But my favorite one that I found worked for me was the five senses. So just in those moments at the beginning of the program, I felt like I was doing this all day, every day, but repping it out over and over, I would name five things that I could see in the room around me, four Mm -hmm. things I could hear, three things I could physically feel or touch, two things I could smell, and one thing I um, could taste. And I have like no sense of smell, by the way, that's not because of COVID long COVID or anything. So I just like, Hmm, like air through my nose. (laughs) Um, does that affect, this is a completely off topic question, but does that affect your taste? I am a foodie. I feel like I could taste great. Like I, and it's not that I have zero, I shouldn't say no sense of smell, but that's like my weakest sense. I don't pick up stuff that other people do. Okay. Yeah. I'm just so curious. Cause like I, I mentioned to you at the beginning, I'm just at the end of COVID right now. And when my nose was plugged, I couldn't taste anything. So I was like, Oh my gosh, she not, she can't taste anything. That's, that's so sad. Um, it's the saddest thing ever. No, I do have friends that have long COVID and they can't taste anything. I'm like, what's oh. the point of life if you can't taste food? That's terrible. Yeah. yeah. Well, I hope that clears up for them. Um, yeah, I love the, um, the practice you're talking about. I remember when I had anxiety in high school, that five senses thing is like the main thing I would do constantly all day long. I'm like, where's five things I can see? Like I'm looking around. And then I also love that thing you mentioned about just putting your hand over the spot that feels emotional. I shared in a podcast episode, I think it was my first one, what I was really getting over that shame piece and I wasn't able to do the deeper work because I was just so dysregulated. I worked at Sephora and I was a cashier and I would literally stand there all day with my hand over my upper stomach, like kind of my solar plexus area, because that's where I have all of my emotion. 
and people thought I was pregnant or something because I would just be I'd have my hand there and I'd be breathing into it and I'd close my eyes and I'd be like working on the emotion under that space so I love to talk about that because these practices seem simple but they're so much more powerful than people realize yeah and it was almost annoying at first I was like I just invested how much money into this program to teach me the magic life-changing answer and you're teaching me stuff that literally my kids could do like but that's what I have come to find you know fall in love with about this embodied work is it's almost so simple it can feel annoying but it is that close to home and it is that possible for all of us to tap into and it is that you know doable that even kids can do it and now I'm I'm passing this stuff to my kids but you know I'm a believer now that the answers are not out there in the next like amazing expert or phenomenon like the answers really are as close to home as within ourselves. And that can sound kind of woo, but, um, I think the, what I'm finding more and more people craving is they want to clear out the noise and they want to, they want to come back home to the power of the wisdom of the body and, and the things that we can tap into right here without all the noise. So yeah, yeah, that was a big one. Um, even I remember feeling resistant to it at first, because I was like, putting my hand over my, I don't want to do that. That's too simple. I don't want to feel the emotion. Like I just want to stay in my head and and not have to experience it. Yeah. hundred percent. So grounding techniques were really huge for me. And it's just what you're talking about with the self-soothing. Um, I remember getting triggered once cause I found like a receipt and it was like women's lingerie and I have a history of betrayal in my path. So big trigger for me, like who the heck are you buying lingerie for is what goes through my head. And I was immediately sent into a trigger. So I was doing the five senses. Um, I went upstairs. It probably took me like an hour to get regulated again. Cause that was at the beginning. Uh, now it can happen faster for me, but I was doing breath work. I was laying down on the ground and tracing the outline of my body, um, just kind of in my mind's eye. And that gets into something, there's a big word, but proprioception, like the awareness of your own body in space. So Mm. I just, yeah, imagine like a kid who's tracing a body with chalk on like a black top that, that doing that to my body over and over and over again until my breath slowed down and I was able Mm. to get into a regulated state. Then I was able to talk to my husband. And then we found out it was his mom's receipt that she left at our house (laughs) and she babysat. But even like that conversation, even if I had had it, you know, a year before, before I got into learning how to regulate my actual nervous system in those moments, he could have told me it was his mom's receipt. He could have said the same exact thing. And I would have been in this hypervigilant state that wouldn't have been able to tell the difference between, um, you know, actual danger and perceived danger. I would have been like, yeah, right. It's your mom's receipt. You know, like, how can I really believe that or trust you? But this work has allowed me to tell the difference between like, okay, he actually is telling the truth because I feel it in my body and my body never lies. Yep. Yep. That's so good. I, I find that for me, before I did this work, it was like, I kind of had the shame thing projected onto him too, which I'm kind of just realizing now where, you know how it's like shame is I am bad instead of I did something bad. Even if my partner messed up, which of course everybody does in a relationship, I would put that shame onto him too and be like, he's a bad person. That means something is wrong with him and I have to leave him instead of extending that same compassion that you know, we should be extending to ourselves of like, I messed up. I may have did something wrong, but it doesn't mean that I am bad. Mm -hmm. Have you ever thought about that? The projection. Yeah. I don't think I've thought about it in the way that you just just described it. I love how you just worded it, but yeah. I've never really thought of it that way either. Just as you were speaking, I was like, wait a second, we do that same thing to our partners. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. Like, 
so much of what was going on inside of me projected and spilled out and I placed on him. There was a lot of um, the self-criticism that I I can now see why all those years, you know, he was saying like, I feel like you don't really accept me or like fully accept me. And I would always argue that. And I was always try to convince him like, yes, I do. Like, of course I do. Why would you say that? Like, I'm a safe space. But in my body on a subconscious energetic level, um, I, I really didn't feel that towards myself and I didn't actually feel that towards him. There were pieces of him that I felt like were not, um, acceptable. So it just takes deeper work. And I was afraid Mm -hmm. to lean into it too. Just like you said, first putting your hand on your heart. Like, I don't want to feel these emotions. It felt scary and, and new to sit with the pain. It feels like a lot. And then the other thing that I just know that if I was listening to this podcast before, and I heard you talk about the the somatic work and finding that guidance from within, I would probably be thinking, I don't want to find that guidance within because what if I tune in and then my intuition or my gut feeling or whatever tells me it's because of my partner and because I'm with the wrong person. So I'm just going to not think about my intuition or my guidance at all. I'm curious, what would you say to somebody if they were listening to this and that fear was coming to mind and they had that resistance to going into their body for that reason? I would just say me too, girl. And same with every single woman I've ever worked with has that same fear. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember meeting with the woman to look into her program and I just told her how back and forth I was about this relationship. Like I can't, it's been freaking years since I've been torn between should I stay, should I go? And she looked at me just with total confidence and, you know, peace saying this. She was like, you'll have total clarity at the end of my eight-week program. And at first I was like, excuse me? Like, who do you think you are? You like, did you not just hear me? I told you I've been struggling with the back and forth for years. But one of the biggest things she taught me once we cleared out the trauma from my body and learned how to get regulated was to listen to my intuition. But I remember having that moment of, do I say yes to this or no? Because yes might mean I get all healed and cleared and finally like my most authentic thriving self. And then I finally have the clarity and like the courage to say, okay, this isn't for me. I need to step away. So that was my biggest fear. And it was a shock to me that on the other side, my intuition for the first time being able to learn how to hear it was saying stay. And I was like, Mm -hmm. well, okay, this is a shock to me and everyone. That's the same Um, thing that happened to me too. But I can't imagine having, you know, a family and being married. And that's like, it just feels like you have so much to lose on the other side. So I, I could see how that would be really scary. Yeah, it was terrifying. It was the scariest valley I've ever walked through. It was just so many, yeah, so much extra pressure and variables to add to it. You're right. But what I can say, because in my client community, you know, I've seen both stories and we actually see both as a win. Like I tell my women, best case scenario, you heal on the deepest level you ever thought possible and you end up saving your relationship. Other best case scenario, you heal on the deepest level you ever imagined possible. And, you know, you you have yourself and you're stepping, stepping into this power and alignment and you're able to call in what is really meant for you. And so I've seen clients um, either way just be so at peace with the outcome once they fir- first learn to trust themselves and step into Um, what's authentic and aligned for them. And both are hard, I will say, saving a relationship or changing the toxic dance if you're used to it going a certain way. It's it's really like you have to demolish that house and build a whole new one um, if that old version isn't working for you. But so that's hard, but also stepping away and separating, even if it's just for a time or if you do end up deciding divorce, like in my case with married women, Um, I've never had a client regret or just say like, oh my gosh, I wish I didn't go through this work. You know, it's on Mm -hmm. the other side. Like, I'm so, so glad I trusted myself and said yes to myself because I'm more peaceful and happier than I've ever been before beginning this. Yep. 
Exactly. And I find that with my clients, the majority of them, they are experiencing relationship anxiety because they're in a relationship that they really care about. And, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe they've been through a toxic relationship in the past or they've been through unhealthy dynamics in the past. And then they're all of a sudden in this healthy, healthier partnership with someone they care about. Maybe it's still like the anxious avoidant dynamic or it's not perfect, but that really scares them. And then that's why they go into this relationship anxiety state. So we'll say that as well as like sometimes it is just the fact that you're in something that you don't want to lose. And that's why the relationship anxiety latches on. I'm sure you've seen a lot of that too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. hundred percent. And it's, yeah, it's such a crazy thing looking back and thinking about like how different it would have been if I had just continued on with relationship anxiety for another 10 years. Like I'm sure that (laughs) you can attest to that too. It's like deciding to start this work and to heal is hard but it's like the lesser hard because you're you're doing the work in the short term for the long term peace and happiness like the real challenging thing is is the years you spend doing that back and forth because it's just i remember how much energy it took up from my life oh god yeah how much energy it takes up it's it's exhausting like it's just it's the fastest recipe to lose yourself (laughs) and end up exhausted and dysregulated and yeah where I was at just panic attacks and eczema Mm. breakouts and like truly it it was I felt like I was about to have a psychotic break like I remember calling my best friend and feeling like Courtney I feel like I'm losing it like this is where people are before they're admitted for psychiatric help because I'm at this like tipping point where I've never felt this unstable and it's hard to even put it to words. I just feel nothing but anxiety. Wow. Um, so I am a huge yeah, advocate of just women learning this sooner rather than later, especially the embodied piece. And I'm glad it's just getting more popular. I think our healing world has been really stuck just from the neck up for so long. And mm-hmm. We've wondered why we've been spinning our wheels when trauma is trapped in the body. Like our body keeps the score of the trauma that we've survived. So if you want to heal a relationship or heal your health or heal, you know, you just as an individual, you've got to go into the body to move trauma out. Yeah. It's, and it's crazy. You don't even realize it's there until you go through something like this or you get into a relationship where it brings it all up to the surface and looking around it's so sad most people that I see have some sort of emotional issue or maybe trauma stepped down or something that they haven't dealt with I know in my personal family I see it all the time and I'm like wow if everyone had access to this work and they were able to release all of that, how much happier and more aligned would the world be? Yeah. I um, wanted to also ask, with your marriage, I know that a lot of the times people get relationship anxiety when they get engaged. So what was that like for you when you got engaged and you were thinking about getting married while you were dealing with all of this because I know you already have that decision in your head of like should I stay or should I go but I can imagine how much harder that would have been taking that step yeah I think it just raises the stakes and kind of what you said you're like I know how exhausting relationship anxiety was for me you know, just in the dating phase and then you add kids and years and a house, like all the things, and it just feels like more to lose. So I remember getting engaged and just feeling like it heightened my relationship anxiety. I thought it was going to solve my relationship anxiety. Like now I got a ring on it. I'm finally going to feel locked in, secure. 
Like it's, you know, certain now that I'm never going to be abandoned, which was my big core wound. Um, and it didn't, if, if you're not dealing with the relationship anxiety at the body level, like the, the next phase or the, the added things right in the relationship or the kids, it can just heighten it if you're not dealing with the root. And it was me getting to the root. That was the game changer, um, really addressing, uh, the early death of my father. My dad passed away when I was 18 Mm. of a heart attack and I met my husband right after that. So for sure was bringing in just this deep, deep fear of being abandoned, fear of wow. separation. I'm a Enneagram nine. If you're into the Enneagram, Hannah, I don't know if you are. Um, I am. Um, I know like very limited knowledge about the Enneagram. I think I'm a three. Ah, okay. The achiever. Yeah, yeah I think so. So type nine is just their basic core fear is, you know, loss or separation. So yeah, I avoided putting, I avoided really dealing with that for years, just kind of masking it, thinking the relationship and the next levels would help when all that did was illuminate the actual unhealed wound. (laughs) It's funny. I think abandonment is a huge theme with this as well. And just like at the core is that fear of loss. And, you know, when we look into attachment styles, it's very similar, the anxious and the avoidant in terms of like what they're afraid of. They're afraid of loss. They're afraid of failure. They're afraid of being unlovable, but they show up in different ways. So with your partner, when you started to heal and you started to maybe move into that more secure place, did you notice any shifts? with the way that he was showing up? Because I know you mentioned he had more avoidant tendencies. Yes. So um, we were separated when I started somatic work, but there was one night where I was going out to my best friend's house to watch The Bachelor, which before we started recording, I was like, you look like um, (laughs) Maddie Pruitt from The Bachelor. I'm going to go Google her after this. You have to. She's gorgeous, just like you. So thank you. I went out and I was like, Sebastian, I know, you know, we're separated, but since you're staying with the kids, I'm going to be out late. You can crash on the couch and just go home tomorrow. And so he did that, but he woke up and he had COVID the next morning. So he ended up staying with us for 15 days um, and we all had COVID together. And I was like, well, this wasn't going according to plan, but those were really precious moments and really the turning point. Um in our, in our toxic dance where he was getting to feel my energy, um, in a different way. And he didn't notice, he didn't say it at first at all. But now when I ask him, like, what was the switch for you? He was like, I just felt a different vibe from you, Becky. For the first time, I actually felt like you've got you and you don't need me to be okay. And it wasn't anything you said necessarily, or like did differently. It was just how I felt around your energy. And so I remember um, during that quarantine, one time the kids were upstairs and we were having a conversation and I feel like I was having these breakthroughs and dissolving shame and, you know, feeling safe in my body for the first time in forever as an adult. And he ended up opening up and just being really open about things he had never shared with me. And he ended up crying and, and I had never seen that man cry like more than like a tear, our entire relationship or marriage. So here we are year 10 of marriage, like technically separated, but he's staying here. And here he is just like the floodgates opening. And so I was like, well, that's new. So just different things started to happen like that, where I'm like, that's the first time ever I've been able to you know, do this and have this conversation without getting triggered. Or that's the first time ever I've ever heard him, seen him cry like that. And so we started to have more and more moments like that. And that was where the shift just kept growing. Yeah. I, I think that that's a really common thing too, is where our partners, I mean, it's not across the board, there's avoidance, in all different spectrums, but I find that the more that people with anxious attachment are able to feel safe and feel like, yes, I'm secure. I don't need you to comfort me or to feel okay. 
that's when the avoidant person feels safe to let their guard down. And it's like, I I didn't even notice I was doing that to my partner and that he felt maybe that he had to put his walls up because I was emotional. But as soon as I was able to stop that sort of critical, emotional, I need you energy is when he started to feel like, okay, I'm able to just relax and breathe in the relationship. And you know, definitely there's work on both sides. And I've noticed my partner do the work in his own ways and and then open up more. But it's amazing how much just working on your own attachments style can influence another person. Yeah, 100%. Like, and the women too, that I work with are afraid, like, can I do this work if my husband's not on board? And I was like, absolutely. That's what it was for me. Like I really went into this work thinking, okay, this is my Hail Mary last second game changer. Best case, maybe it saves my marriage, but if not, at least I'll be able to heal myself because I'm not okay. And then it ended up, you know, he was not on board at first. He was critical of me spending that amount of money, right? Investing in Mm -hmm. a coach. And he was like, good luck with that. Kind of sarcastic, like Mm -hmm. not supportive. Yeah. Now he's so different now. It's been really gradual and I have led the way. Um, I see that kind of common actually. It's usually the woman that takes the first step and then more so without the words she's saying, but just leading by her actions and the way that she's showing up differently in her energy. I've seen so many men catch on and I I tell my clients, you're either, you know, as you heal and rise, you're going to call him up with you or you're going to call him out. Either way, it's going to be more and more clarity the more that you heal. Yes. True. Do you notice that in your practice, it's mainly women who have relationship anxiety have anxious attachment? Or do you notice like the attachment style doesn't necessarily go hand in hand with that relationship anxiety and anyone can have it? In my group, I do find the majority of women, and maybe that's just because it's me and we kind of like attract, right? We call in who we are most like, but a lot of them have the anxious attachment style and resonate with that. And the husband is more avoidant or the disorganized one, which is kind of, that's actually what Sebastian is. It's the both anxious and attached or both anxious and avoidant. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So I've noticed the same pattern too. And I'm, I'm finding that like, I think that the relationship anxiety is kind of more of a symptom to these attachment wounds and just kind of like a, a protection mechanism and avoidant people can have it too. And disorganized people can have it too. But yeah, it does seem that it does affect us women with anxious attachment a lot. And it is a theme I'm seeing for sure. Yeah. I love that you call it a symptom because that's really what it is. It's just kind of that like blinking light in the car, letting you know, Hey, something's off under the hood. Like, Mm -hmm. please check it. But exactly. Yeah. But so many of us, especially just our Western world, we aren't trained to think like that. Like we have anxiety and think, um, either something's wrong with us or just, oh, make that go away here, have a glass of wine or, you know, take this pill for it, which I'm not against medication at all. The point I mean is just, we try to make the symptom go away as opposed to tuning into, oh, what could this potentially be alerting me to, or like telling me to check underneath the hood. Yeah. Or like, there's something wrong with the car. We need to like throw the car out. I think I, it's when you say that. I think I literally just said that on a podcast, either in my last podcast episode or the one before of like, instead of just seeing that there's a blinker on and that we need to take it to the mechanic, we're like, there's something wrong with the car. We need to take it to the dump. Whereas it's just a symptom. It's just like a, just a nice warning sign. You can almost see it as like a, a alert like an alarm telling you, okay, there's something that I need to look at here. And that's actually a gift in a way, having that special alarm instead of just going throughout your whole relationship and accepting mediocrity, let's say, instead of knowing that there's more stuff to look at and it could be so much deeper and it could be so much richer. 
I love that so much, Hannah. And just so many people, myself, I was in this boat too. It's just, they're torturing themselves with the, should I stay or should I go? Right. Should I throw it in the dump or not? And it's like, you haven't even gone under the hood yet. Like first things first, you don't have to make a decision today. Just slow down, take a breath. Like let's actually look at what's under the hood. Cause this might actually just be a really easy fix. And, but you're not going to know until we lift it up. Yeah, exactly. And I also find that people are so worried to start this because they're like, what if I just all of a sudden find out that my partner is horrible and I've been in the wrong relationship and I have to make this urgent decision and it's very jarring. But with myself and with my clients, I've noticed intuition isn't really like that. It's not this like crazy, scary thing, this voice in your head that's like, you have to leave and it feels terrible and it's very urgent. It's more of like these subtle nudges that oftentimes feel like relief instead of fear. I love that so much. Yeah. I love, I have this chart. It's the difference between like intuition and ego for when women are first trying to figure out what is this that I'm hearing right now? Is this just my ego? Is this just fear or is this, yeah, my gut, my intuition. And it's in that chart, exactly what you just described. Like intuition is always feels like love. It feels like peace. It feels like a whisper. It feels settled. Um, It feels expansive. And then, and even if it's like, even if this isn't the truth that I want, it's still that settled kind of peaceful knowing, but then ego is frantic. It feels like um, punishment. It feels like fear. It feels like constriction. It feels very loud feels very buzzing. And so I think it's just powerful to start practicing like, yeah, even in little moments, it doesn't have to be things as big as should I stay or go in this relationship. Um, But I tell my clients to practice with things like going out to dinner, where do I want to go? Like just all the different options that I could go through my head, like what feels good and what feels yes, that's right. Versus like, oh no, I don't want to go to that place. practice intuition on non-charged <laughs> like yeah, I love that yeah not not on like the the highest stake yes that you can do I remember when I first started um or actually before I started healing my relationship anxiety at all and I didn't know what it was I actually constantly said like I hate my intuition I was like I can't I I don't want to learn anything about intuition I hate my intuition I don't like it. That's one topic. I'm just going to like believe that I don't have an intuition because I was terrified of it because I thought that my intuition was this part of me that was terrified about my relationship and that was making me feel so horrible. And then, yeah, through this work, of course, I learned like that wasn't my intuition. That was a survival response. And another thing that I like to tell people is like, you you can't access your intuition. It's very hard to access when you are in that survival place. And so when you're doing this work and you're like releasing and you're getting into your body, that's not when you're listening to your intuition. That's when you're clearing the emotion and you're regulating so that you can be in touch with who you really are in a way that feels good. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It's truth. That's what, yeah. when I had that first discovery call, that's what the woman said on the call. She's like, you're going to keep going back and forth forever until you regulate clear trauma out of your body. That's the only way you can hear your intuition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it can be scary for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Becky. I've loved this conversation and I loved hearing your story. And yeah, thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing. I just love how you're so open about shame and you're not afraid to talk about what you've been through and tell the stories and yeah you're just you're helping so many women and I'm just so grateful that you took the time to come on the podcast and share your experience with people I think it's gonna really inspire a lot of my listeners Thank you, Hannah, so much. And really, I know you're helping so many women, but I just want you to know you've really helped me too. Because even though I'm a marriage coach, like we still have wounds we're healing. And Mm -hmm. I stumbled upon your page during a time when it felt like a dip again in my own marriage. And 
even though you're not married, like your content has helped me so much in moments when I really needed it. And it felt like, oh no, this is getting dark and scary again. What's happening? So right back at you, sister. Oh, thank you so much. That means the world to me. I also love that you say that too. I'm, I'm just the whole podcast. I love that you're saying this. I love that you're saying this. Um, <laughs> but it's true. I, I love that you say too that um, and even in marriage, and even as you're a, a marriage coach, you still have those ups and downs. Like it's it, it's normal. And it's great for me to hear too, because I still have those ups and downs. Ooh. So thank you. And I'm going to ask one more question before we let you go. Is there anything that you would say to the listeners maybe who are hearing you speak for the first time and hearing your story and they resonate with it, what would you say to them if they're scared to start this practice and they're scared to go deeper and get into the somatic work? Uh, I would just say that I get it. And that's exactly where I was. It's where every single woman that I've ever sat with at the beginning um, starts and just to validate that in yourself and put your hand over your heart, offer yourself some self-compassion, sit with like, what about this is scary and lean into that and offer yourself some comfort and honor whatever comes up, whatever you're feeling. Um, and at the same time, you know, like once you sit with that, just move into either way, there's a risk, you know, and it's so just deciding like, what, what am I willing to risk? What do I want to stay with? Do, is this working for me anymore? The way that I'm living my life. And if not, what's the worst that could happen? You know, stepping into healing. If I do learn some new things, I can still decide to go back to my old way of life at any time. I don't have to, right. You know, um, yeah adopt anything new that I learned that you're constantly in control and in the driver's seat and um, that you're so not, not alone in whatever feelings come up. I love that. Amazing. Thank you so much. And yeah, I'm excited to work with you more soon and, and maybe hopefully have you on the podcast again in the future. Yeah, I would love that. So thank you, Becky. You're welcome. Bye, Hannah.